0: This is it. Episode number 49 of the Actors Room. We highlight David Bowie for the last time. Part 3. And it will be just 3 parts. I went ahead, fit things in, so it's not going to be a 4-parter. That's a good thing. Although I could talk about David for 8 more episodes because he's such a fascinating guy. Good stuff. But concluding David Bowie today in the Actors Room... My name is Jeff Tarowski, so here we fucking go. Wow, I uh, sounded kind of angry there in the opening. Didn't mean to be. Uh, more of a emphasis. On the fact that here we are concluding David today. And I'm just sort of a uh, lot of uh, different emotions going on. A lot of different, uh, I don't know, stuff. Stuff, does that make sense? Just a lot of stuff floating around. Uh, I had to sort of get myself into the right frame of mind today to do it. I uh, have to do it today. I uh, actually completed all of my research like on Wednesday and today's Saturday. So it's kind of been sitting for a few days. I went ahead and gave myself a few days off after completing the second part, and I thought to myself on Wednesday, "Ah, i got to start doing some research if I want to get everything in before Saturday. So I sat down on Wednesday and thought, if I get like three pages down, great, because my show is about six pages of notes. So if I got half of it done on Wednesday, I thought I would be doing pretty well. I ended up just doing it all on the same day, all six pages. Realizing six is great. It's a whole episode, about a half hour. I'm sorry, about an hour. And I was done. I'm like, okay, interesting. Got a couple days to sort of just maybe correct a few things, see how it's going. But basically, I'm done with my research. And I'm just going to listen to some David Bowie songs for the rest of the week to get myself ready. I just, I don't know. It's really weird. I'm sitting down and I don't feel ready. And I should be. And I'm sure I am. I'm fucking ready. I just don't want to end talking about David and the last part of his life. I ended last episode talking about a very fascinating character that he created called the Thin White Duke. This guy was really fucking interesting. Um, But before I go into the Thin White Duke, I once again want to mention his acting in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Now, this movie, like I said, was a critical success for David. Not so much the movie. The movie... It was okay. But his performance stood out. And uh, the critics liked it. And other people in the business noticed that... You know what? David Bowie... uh, He's a pretty damn good actor, too. Go figure. The guy creates characters performing on stage the way he did. Like, I think maybe... Kurt Cobain would have been a pretty good actor if he tried it. Because he would kind of do the same things on stage. Not like David did. Uh, But he would play characters from time to time. Silly characters. Outlandish sort of characters. It was part of Kurt Cobain in his personality to be just sort of silly. And uh, I think he might have made a pretty good actor if he would have tried it. So David Bowie proved to the audiences and the critics... That he had the ability to be a pretty decent, good actor. I recommend David Bowie's acting and for good reason. He simply has a knack for being in front of the camera. This is a rare trait and not everyone or every performer possesses this gift. It is clear that it, he's relaxed and pure. He reacts truthfully and plays moment to moment. And when I say... Moment to moment, this is critical in any actor. You have to be able to let yourself listen to the other characters on the stage or on the screen with you. You have to be able to take in what they tell you and not always be in your head thinking about, Oh, what's my next line? Once you start doing that, you're no longer an actor. David had the ability to do this. These are traits every true actor should have. Listening. Paying attention to everything around you. Taking things in. Letting things affect you. Making sure you are treating the other people around you with respect. All of these things David would do. Although the film itself... Wasn't a hit at the box office. The man who fell to earth proved that David could do more than Ziggy Stardust. His next album, called Station to Station, brought us a different kind of sound and a brand new character. The next character presented by Bowie was indeed controversial and so goddamn fucking interesting. We meet the thin. White Duke The Thin White Duke was a complete Turnaround from Ziggy And I really think that's what David wanted He was so Done with Ziggy, done And needed something different Almost a 180 It was a different way Of looking at life David had many questions To answer In his life and his work And felt that the Duke, this character he created Could help him find out certain things. And uh, what I mean by that. Is that at this time in his life. And even previous to this. He was just like anybody else. Or I don't want to say that. Because I'm not sure if everybody has thoughts. Deep thoughts about philosophy. The world. Religion. uh, Space. Just the meaning of life. Period. Some people touch on it. Others dive Really fucking deep. So deep that they will dive into things that are a little dangerous. Scary. But a way to maybe open things up for them. Uh, Questions that might get answered. Searching everywhere. Under every rock. To find an answer you might need or want to know. Your curiosity. David Bowie possessed this to the highest degree. And in his work and life, he found it necessary to search almost everywhere for answers, no matter where they were. And so, this came to the creation of this character, this thin white Duke guy. He felt this creation could help guide him in the right way at this time in his life. There was something about this character he created That made him go to these places. To further gain knowledge. About life. Love. Art. Inspiration. uh, Religion. God. Devil. Light and dark. I mean. If you take a look at this fucking guy. That he created. He was so. He was cool. He did a great job. Once again. Ziggy way out there. uh, You know. An alien life form rock star really interesting and then he brings it back and takes it across the way to this other world this darker mysterious sort of uh, playful but dark world and in doing so he comes up with this fucking guy the thin white duke I mean he went lean sleek and dashing this guy wore slacks, a button-up shirt, and a black vest. His hair was blonde, slick back, face chiseled, a damn cool-looking cat. So intriguing. The single from station to station called Golden Years did well. Just listened to it about 20 minutes ago. Just because it's a great song. I hear a bit of Elvis and David's voice in that song I do and he was a big fan of Elvis I love it uh, the album was successful and for the first time in his career David was finally and it took so long he was finally on solid financial ground he moved his family into a house in Switzerland why Switzerland you ask because it's beautiful right Switzerland. I think of Switzerland I think of Alps I think of yodeling. I think of cheese for some reason. I don't know why, but I think of cheese, Switzerland, Swiss maybe, Swiss cheese. I love cheese. I think I've said that before. I fucking love cheese. I think I love every cheese out there. There has not been a cheese that I don't like. Switzerland. I think of uh, time, clocks, watches. Right. I never think of anything negative. Switzerland is. Oh, they've always said, is like the neutral, uh, like right down the middle. They don't take sides. Switzerland. When you're Switzerland, you're neutral. I think it would be a great choice. But the main reason why he chose Switzerland is because his earnings would not be taxed there. It's a smart man. Bowie's relationship with his partner and wife, Angie, was on rocky ground and had been for a bit. And David was on edge. Let's just say he was tilting towards The edge, in a way. Shortly after moving the family into the house in Switzerland, David moved out and went to Berlin. Now, he makes a decision to move the family to Switzerland. Finds a house, nice house in Switzerland. Gets them all settled. They're all settled in, right? Dave's like, I'm going to take a little break. Got you all settled in here. You relax. Why don't you go ahead and put up some wallpaper over here. Paint that room. Uh, you know, get things set up. Uh, you know, the boxes. Let's go ahead and put everything away. Uh, I'm gonna take off, and Angie's like, "Um, wh- where are you going?" And Dave's like, "I gotta take care of a few things." And she's like, "Well, why don't you help me put stuff away?" And he's like, "Nah, I gotta go." Now, I did all that hard sniffing to make a point. He decided to move to Berlin. Right after moving to Switzerland, because he realized just how horrible his drug habit was becoming. Cocaine was starting to take over his life. And he also took heroin, not as hardcore as coke, but he was also doing other drugs as well. He felt that at this time in his life, if he didn't do something about his drug habits, he was gonna lose everything, uh, not only his family, but his life. And he will say, further on down the road, that he was absolutely amazed, blown away, and surprised that he made it through those 70s. Especially from like 1975 to 1977, 78, the dude was just on a mission to destroy himself with drugs. And he was pretty much on that path, and he made a decision right here in his life to go ahead, take care of it, take it by the balls or whatever, and move out to Berlin with his buddy, Iggy good old Iggy Pop they were going to move to Berlin together room up, and kick their drug habits they lived above an auto parts store so, just in case they needed, you know windshield wiper fluid, you know a couple of spare tires, they were in good shape good shape so you gotta imagine this Okay, they're living in this little shitty apartment above an auto parts store, and he's with Iggy Pop, and they would try to stay off drugs together, sort of support one another in this journey of druglessness. While in this state, David, he managed to produce Iggy's next album, and that was called "The Idiot." Disco was going on strong all around the world. And David continued his battle of staying clean. He was committed to this and placed all his energies into his craft. He wanted to create a new sound that put a name on his current position in life. And the name of the album he presented was called Low. This album had to be made. It was a way of David to cope with his demons in the pure hell he must have been going through, weeding himself off of these drugs. He was a chronic cocaine user, and I know he dabbled with heroin. You can only imagine what his body and mind were experiencing at this time. This album may not have been popular, but it was essential in the steps he was taking to write his ship. And I want to take a step back. I've never been addicted to drugs. Never had to weed myself off of anything. I smoke cigarettes. And I do drink. Uh, But I don't think I. You know I've tried quitting smoking before. And I have for a period of time. It sucks. But it's nothing like. I don't know just. Not taking drugs. For an extended period of time. After taking drugs for so long. Your body needs the drug. And when it doesn't get the drug. It goes through withdrawal. And that withdrawal, the symptoms are quite harsh. Uh, I think that the body itself is going through these changes and is weeding itself away and it creates pain, misery. You want the drug so bad. You're, You're getting sick. It is making you feel like you have the flu for I don't know how long. I guess it depends on what you're addicted to. But if you're addicted to heroin... I hear that's excruciating. Look it up. People that go through heroin withdrawal. God bless them. I hear it's just agonizing and horrible. Horrible. I've seen movies on it. And I've read up about it. Just because it seems so interesting. And opiates and heroin are becoming a big problem today. In the world. There are many people out there addicted to opiates. It's scary. And David went through these symptoms of just getting off of drugs. And in the process, created this album, Low. Although it wasn't popular, this was something that David had to do. I've listened to these songs. They are fucking dark, people. And if you're a Bowie fan, you know what I'm talking about. It almost like you can hear the demons in there. Sky went through a lot in his life, experienced a lot. You know, and it just seems to me. That someone like David Bowie... My God... If you were to pick a panel of people... You know... To like talk to uh, people... uh, About life... And creative shit... And just about religion and philosophy... Oh my God... I would love to spend about three weeks with David... And maybe three or four other people... Just talking about stuff... What you would learn... Because he's experienced so much... Others may just have opinions... About things, I think Bowie can come back with you some with some hard evidence about things. And I find it to be quite fascinating. And one of the things I admire about David Bowie. David was not hindered by the album Low and its sketchy success. His next two albums continued on with this new style of pop, rock, and electronic soul. The two albums were called. Lodger in Heroes. The Hero single would end up being a hit. All right, before I move any further, let's go ahead and talk about the Thin White Duke for a few more moments. All right, there are some important topics to discuss about this guy. David searched deep during this time, very deep. He was smacked down in the middle of his destructive drug use and it produced destructive venues he pursued. He studied all sorts of different cultures and philosophies. He delved into anything that would help him get answers to those ultimate questions we all seek or people like David. You know, who am I? And what am I doing in the world? David would venture Into the light and the dark. This is no secret. That he read up on black magic. And Aleister Crowley. This was sort of a trending thing. At that time by the way. Going and learning about Crowley. And all that black magic stuff. Was kind of trendy. At this time. I don't know about now. But then it definitely was. And David just happened to be. One of those curious artists. That truly looked at all sides. And wanted to see what he could get out of it. All is life. And David would go on to say years later that this small part of his life influenced him, yes, but he was aimless and spiritually lost, a dark time in his life. He learned much from this experience, although dark and scary, and even referenced it, this dark side, again near the end of his life. David would actually say that during this turbulent time in the mid to late 70s was an absolute blur. He would also go on to say, further, stating he doesn't even remember recording the album station to station. Wow. Listen to this small clip of David talk about this time in his life.
1: I think when you interviewed as much as you've been and quoted as much as you've been, it's perhaps a little unfair to bring back past quotes, particularly from that period. But I was—are we ever going to get sta- to the present? staggered when I when I read a quote from a Rolling Stones interview that you gave at the time, saying, "I believe very strongly in fascism. Oh, we need God. a dictatorial right-wing tyranny." What was that about? Um, I think that was probably uh, a bit coke-driven. Yeah, <laughs> it was also part of. I was. I had. I fell into the trap of this—the black magic uh, Kabbalism, uh, and, um, the whole idea of the, uh, just the Crowleyism of, uh, you know, the times. It was a significant part of that middle point of the 70s, and, uh, I really got completely disoriented by all that. It was an awful dreadful period for me. I mean, the only escape for me in the end was just to... Just to get up and clean, clean myself out, you know, and just, just finish my association with cocaine, which had become such a problem that I just, I couldn't function on in any other way from day to day. I couldn't, I wasn't eating, I couldn't eat anything. I mean, if you've seen photographs of me in that period, I mean, I weighed, I don't know, 90, 95 pounds or something. It was just dreadful. I'm absolutely amazed that I actually survived that period.
0: There you go. Uh, you heard it right from Bowie. From, right from Bowie. About how he dove into shit because he was interested, yes. But also, it was just a he was cocaine-driven, a mess. And he needed answers at that time in his life. And uh, basically, he was young and dumb and stupid and searching. That's it. And uh, very destructive. And he survived. Thank God he did. He had his love of life and art to get him through it. So he decided to pour his heart into painting. He's very critical of his painting. You could see it in his eyes and face when he's acted about his art. He's sort of self-conscious, I think. That's just my opinion. It seems that painting takes a lot out of him. And I saw an interview he gave about his painting. And they asked him how he goes about doing his paintings and things like that. And what he gets out of it. And David's like, well, you know, not that much. I just can't wait to get through it. I can't wait until it's over so I can move on to something else. What a true artist. He just can't concentrate on the painting. He's thinking ahead. Like, I can't wait to fucking finish this thing so I can do the next thing. He was always looking forward ahead to something new. Alright? And I find that great as an artist because you're like that. You're, you're sort of restless. I'm going ahead doing this podcast and uh, I can't help but think what I'm going to do next. And boy I can't wait until I'm done talking. So I can go ahead and edit this thing. See how it sounds. And get it the fuck out there. And then it's done. It's just we can't explain these things. We're always sort of very restless. An artist, or most artists I think. Are very restless people. They, just, they get so excited about something. They're so into it. And then they need the next rush. The next thing that will excite them. You just can't stick with the same thing. You got to move on. You got to see something else. And you got to see what else is out there. And David Bowie was the same way. Moving on. It's 1977. It's Christmas time. And we all got a nice surprise gift. Who would have thought we could see David Bowie and Bing Crosby. Standing side by side. Singing a Christmas song. Incredibly beautiful. David and Bing participated. In a television special. And play act off of one another. David tells Bing. How he has a six year old son. And how excited he gets this time of year. And then. They sing. Drummer Boy. I get goosebumps every time I hear it folks. It's heartwarming. And it's a great song. And David and Bing. Sing really well. In duet with one another. And Bowie did it. He did it. Well done. And giving us just a classic Christmas song. 1977. Drummer Boy. His personal life. Not so good. The marriage between he and his wife was bad. And I have probably have highlighted this simple fact. This has been going on for a while, and I'm surprised they've actually stayed together for this long. But anyways, David didn't want to expose his son to the negative vibe in their home anymore. So he took his son and went to Berlin to celebrate Christmas. Angie visited America at the same time, and then when she returned home after the holidays, David and his son were still in Berlin and not home. Nobody was home. She was absolutely devastated, so devastated that she attempted suicide. This crushed David and scared him. And he, of course, was concerned and at her side. He went to her aid, but the marriage was over. The open relationship was now closed and closed for good. The breaking of the union was finalized in 1980. David received full custody. Of his son. And it, to me that's admirable. He took the responsibility. He took it for real. He cleaned up his act. As far as drugs were concerned. For the most part. It, he, he was getting himself together. Emotionally. And that was good. He would be both mother and father. To Zoe. Who now prefer to be called Joe. Friends say. That this decision. It meant a lot to David, you know, taking on that responsibility, being a dad. He loved being a dad. And you know what? That means a lot to me. And I have said this in previous episodes. Being a parent is so hard. Those of you out there who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. Holy fuck me. They tell you, like our parents, oh, when you have children, you'll find out. And you go, whatever. Oh, I found out. It's hard. It's rewarding. It's shit. Don't get me. Being a parent, the rewards you get from your child, and the love that you get back, and that you give them, it's undeniable, uncomparable. The bond that you create in your family, it's if you do it the right way, it's unbreakable, people, unbreakable. But in the process, you go through some shit. Every family does. Every single fucking family goes through their fucking shit. And how plastic these sites are, these social sites, most of them, in in the deepest of ways, or the shallowest of ways, I stand corrected. When I think of Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, it's so fake, people. And you see all these pictures. Everybody's so happy. And they might be for that short period of time. But we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. Unless you're part of that family. And even then you may not know. We all go through it. This is my point. Being a parent is hard work. Very hard work. The hardest job you'll ever have. You are constructing and bringing up humans. That you hope to bring up in the right way. And they, in the process, will become good people. And when I see actors, actresses, uh, performers, entertainers, whatever the case is, and they seem to me to be good parents, that goes a long way with me. Because they're busy people, they got stuff going on. And if they take the time to be a good parent, God bless them, they go way up high. On my respect list, very high. And what I'm getting here from David Bowie is at this time in his life, he decided that I'm going to be a really good dad to my son, Joe. And that was the decision he made. Next thing up, in 1980, this is ultra significant. Bowie moves to New York City. Cool, right? Do you know what's even cooler than that? He stars on Broadway in The Elephant Man. That's downright awesome. Let's do the acting thing again. But this time, we're going to do it on Broadway. He would take on the role of John Merrick. He says that he identified with the character because he shared the same isolation issues. This is some true art going on here, folks. Bowie is brave once again. There was no makeup used to change his features. And those of you have seen The Elephant Man with Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt. Hurt has this crazy makeup, mask, whatever thing on, looking almost exactly like the real Elephant Man. Look this guy up. Scary. I get weird around uh, deformed people. I do. I remember when I was a kid. Remember that movie Mask? With Eric Stoltz and Cher, I gotta tell you, I'm not kidding. I was absolutely just petrified of that movie, and that poor kid's face was just a mess. And mask, the character that Eric Stoltz played, this it was a kid, and he had this weird disease where his head would like keep growing, like his brain kept growing, and it just deformed his whole face, and. I would get glimpses just walking through the room of this movie. It was on HBO a lot. And I would just turn as white as a ghost. Uh, So this is the character that David Bowie is playing. This John Merrick guy. And in the movie, John Hurt looked like the real kid. uh, The real guy, John Merrick. But David, on stage, on Broadway, didn't do that. He had to use his body and... Contort it. And make it look all weird. And you, I've seen clips. He's walking around really strange like a limp. And he just made himself look ugly. Just by the way he moved and acted and talked. Very hard thing to do, man. Very hard thing to do. And while doing all these things. He had to continue to act moment to moment. On stage. Projecting the right way. Doing it the right way. Props to David Bowie here. Big props. Acting on Broadway. On stage. And the critics loved it. He got rave reviews. It was a hit. A success. David Bowie. Not only. A tremendous songwriter. Not only. A performer. Uh, doing mime. Uh, dancing on stage. Performing. Doing all these magnificent things. Not only was he able to do that and be good at it, good. Great at it, but he could be an actor as well. Oh, wow. Great stuff. He painted too, by the way. Yeah, he just did it all. This guy. True artist through and through. Very notable performance on Broadway in The Elephant Man in 1980. Get this. During the run of The Elephant Man, he even managed to release his 17th Album, number 17. The guy just couldn't sit still, could he? Dave, take a break, man. Nah. Nah. I'm good, I'm good. I'm not even on coke anymore. I'm just, I just go. I'm good, thanks. Uh, You know, when I take a break? When I sleep. That's when I take my break. I'm good, thanks. Thank you for the offer. But I'm going to make at least 500 albums before I die. Thanks. All right, so in this album, we get a song called Ashes to Ashes. He expresses in the song how he still struggles with his drug addiction. Folks, that'll never go away. He will continue on his entire life, even though he may never, ever do another drug or even a sip of alcohol. He was an alcoholic as well. Okay, it never goes away. Every day, you probably crave it. So in this song, he explains his struggles with drug addiction. But from what my research tells me, he really did stay away from the drugs after this. Um, I think he would slip a little bit from time to time. I think that's natural, though. When you were hardcore as he was, going cold turkey like that, I mean, it's possible. But very unlikely that you will never use again. I think that in the early stages he did slip from time to time. uh, But always regained balance. And he realized that he could lose everything if he continued to do it. He was on a mission to stay clean for good. Major Tom even makes an appearance in the song. So Tom always kind of around. And we now know that Major Tom refers to Bowie himself... And that he states, Tom is a junkie. It's a personal song, period. But, this song produced a music video. It was detailed, original, and people in the industry took notice. This is also significant. David loved that he was able to express his art in front of the camera. And this would play later on when MTV became a factor. Then tragedy. December 8th, 1980. John Lennon is shot and killed. David loved him. He was like part of the family. And just like that, he's gone. When the run of the Elephant Man was over, three weeks later, he moved back to Switzerland to mourn the loss of his friend. In 1982, he would act once again. This time, a film called The Hunger. It's a sexy film. Hey yo! David's hot, right? Hot and heavy with his co stars. Look out. Dave's getting sexy. Now, <laughs> I, he plays a vampire. In the movie itself, iffy at best. Iffy at best. Really. Wasn't a fan of this one. I, was. Just so 80-ish. I love 80 movies. But this sometimes in the 80s, they went too 80. You know what I mean? All the cliched 80s stuff. Like the feel of the movie was just so 80s. (laughs) That's a bad thing. I love the 80s. The 80s were great. So great. Uh, It's noteworthy. Okay. That he works with Susan Sarandon in this project. And I think they became friends later on. They would give interviews together. Just sit and talk. Have a conversation. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I think David was able to form great relationships with his co-stars and people he worked with. He was just a good, good guy. Nice guy. Then more tragedy, of course. Of course, we've got to have tragedy, right? The hits just keep coming when his real brother Terry throws himself out of a window and tried to commit suicide. I guess Terry would survive the fall, his brother, right? And David would come to his aid. Now Dave was private. About his family life. To a point. This of course is a sensitive subject. But he faced the demons. Head on. And supported his brother. Just a sad situation. When you really think about that. David loved his brother very much. Terry. From what I gather. uh, People would say he was. uh, David's idol best friend Uh, Terry showed him art in a different way and David respected him for that, opening his eyes to things that he may not have thought about maybe if it wasn't for Terry Terry was a driving force in his life and the fact that Terry went kind of insane, not kinda he had schizophrenia and this scared David, thinking that he would get it like like a sickness waking up, crazy insane Like it ran in his family. He feared that it would happen to him too. So he came to Terry's aid. Being the good brother that he was. Supported him. Was at his side comforting him. And he didn't like talking about that part of his life. He did bring it up. He did. But of course when things like this happen. When his brother Terry tries to commit suicide. uh, David wasn't about to open up about that. And how he felt about it. It just wasn't going to happen. David's next project is more acting. God bless him. The film is Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. This will be his best work. He placed all of his frustration and pain in his personal life that was going on and then put it into the character. It's a World War II film. It David shines. He's reserved and natural. He displays his miming abilities and it's quite brilliant. He acts more Through his movements. Than most other actors do. He's so utterly vulnerable. He looks so fragile sometimes. On the screen. Like he's made of glass. Skin. And then underneath that. Glass. I also want to mention. A film he did. A few years before that. Called. Just a gigolo. It's a film that's forgotten. I think. And Bowie took a leap with his acting. Just a gigolo. It's on YouTube. If you've never seen that movie, I recommend it. Uh, The premise is pretty damn good. And you see David Bowie take a leap in this movie as an actor. His music was going to change again. Big fucking surprise. His music's changing? No. As he entered the mid 1980s, he would embrace his growing stardom, and go mainstream, look out. He was famous, of course, but not huge. Big difference. Just a bit under the radar with his fame. Before this, but not for long. David would sign a five-year contract and promote his new songs on guess what? M.T.V. The dude went global. His catchy tunes like Modern Love and Let's Dance were enormous hits. I remember watching Let's Dance on MTV every day. They played it often. Bowie was perfect for MTV. The two mediums were meant for one another. It made him bigger than he ever imagined. And this is the scoop. Bowie had a certain audience. Nice size audience, but moderate sized. And it was like to a certain extent of how big it was. Now, when Just Dance and Modern Love came out and MTV happened, he was open to a new audience. People who listened to Phil Collins, right, didn't listen to Bowie before songs like Just Dance. I'm just guessing, but I think it's true. Now, they were. Now, my mom only knows of the Just Dance Bowie. I... Only knew of the Just Dance Bowie before I did my research. It was a wide appeal. His music was as popular as Tina Turner, Phil Collins, and Michael Jackson. He seemed to be enjoying it as it happened. He was living the dream, man. Success and loads of cash. His image was sharp. He even announced to the press that he was now strictly heterosexual. Don't know why you have to announce that, but hey, you know what? They probably gave him lots of interviews at this time and said, you know what? Hey, years ago, I said I was gay. I might be still gay, but I'm strictly heterosexual now. All right. So print it, put it out there. Done. All right. Now he's on a roll, giving the whole world a taste of Bowie. They're just getting a taste of him all over the world now. But were they getting the real Bowie the real Bowie, no, not really. This popularity run was making David write songs for the audience, instead of for himself. And after a while, he became discouraged. This wasn't who he was as an artist, he thought, and you know, I, I want to get into that for just a moment. The fact that he was writing songs for the audience right now, because he was so popular, he was writing things for them. To stay popular, catchy, uh, just mainstream songs, not artistic songs that he wanted to do. And he thought he was having a great time at this point, just uh, singing, Let's Dance, Put On Your Red Shoes, and you know, it's a great song, catchy song. My brother hates that song. Really, dude? It's a good song, man. You know what it is? You know what I think it is? They played it so much back then. As a little kid, when he was a little kid, that he probably just hates it now. Because he heard it about a billion times in the mid-80s. I think that's it. Because it's a good song. Let's Dance. It's just so catchy. It's, in my head. it's been in my head a lot. Doing my research on Dave. <sighs> that one probably the most out of all of them, which is really weird. Alright. David's brother Terry would commit suicide in 1985. David was absolutely devastated. His brother, Terry, his idol and best friend, was now gone. Plus, Terry became what David always feared in himself. The thought had always plagued him. What if I go insane? David withdrew from many people in his life at this time. Friends wanted to reach out, but they knew he just needed time to heal. And he did. Then he decided to help heal others when he joined the Live Aid movement. He was one of a dozen artists that performed on stage in London for fighting starvation in the streets with the Live Aid movement. Well done. Bowie starred in the musical called Absolute Beginners and was also in a film called Labyrinth. Any kid that grew up in the 80s definitely knows about Labyrinth. You got a young Jennifer Connelly, very cute. And of course, the main topic of discussion in this movie is the size of Bowie's package. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about a Christmas gift. The dude showed us just how well endowed he really was. Thanks, Dave. But he also loved the premise of the film. Dave did. He... He loved the whole premise. They had a couple of other actors they wanted for the role. Uh, Bowie came out on top and felt it would just be a fun project to do. He loved the premise, the concept. Uh, the movie's underrated. Creepy, but underrated. David put out another album and it didn't do well. It was a bit too flashy and a bit too boring. But David reached a pinnacle in his career commercially and that was great. But he wanted to get back to being an artistic musician he once was. He decided to break away and form a new act called Tin Machine. Tin Machine was simply rock and roll, but not rock and roll. Now think about this. He was doing it his way. He was doing it for David. It was a transitional period. An expression of what music can be. He was giving us a sneak peek. And this is fucking huge. Okay, He was giving us a sneak peek at a new type of music. It was alternative, yes. But it was also something else. And we heard a bit of it. Way back in the day. From Bowie. Do you remember a little song called Hang On To Yourself? I hear the beginnings of grunge in there. It's there. Give a listen to Hang On To Yourself. This musician was so far ahead of his time. It's really scary and it's genius. Bands like Nirvana admired David's music. And it's obvious he was an influence. Just listen to The Man Who Sold The World. That's, that's it. What a great remake by Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. Well done. But we felt great about Tin Machine And it fulfilled him artistically. It was a few years later. He would meet the love of his life. Model Iman. It's sweet to hear Bowie. Talk about her in interviews. And vice versa. Uh, Iman would go on to explain. How David approached her. And asked her out. And he wooed her. He had found his happiness with her. She also says. That most people or fans. Would be surprised to know. That David is strictly an old-fashioned kind of guy. Down to earth in many ways. A distinction from his natural creative ambitions and curiosities. He simply romanticized Iman into marrying him. He says he fell in love with her the very first day. And she said it took her about a week. Isn't that cute? (laughs) I love that. It's great. In April of 1992, he married her, and his son Joe was his best man. I'm getting a little like emotional. I don't know why. That is just touching to me. You know what it is? Doing my uh, three part episode of David, going through this journey and knowing how he grew up and the beginning of his career and the what he went through in the 70s and now getting into the 80s, and him meeting the love of his life, and him and his son are close, and Joe's his best man. He, he's straightening out. And it just hit me. Uh, he just is, and he's happy. He would again dive deep into painting. Also, at this time, he was asked to perform on MTV Unplugged. Where musicians like Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, and eventually Nirvana would perform. And I love the unplugged of any artist. I just love it. I love the acoustic stuff. But David ultimately decided against it. You know, performing on MTV unplugged. And this is the reason why. He wanted only to perform his newer music. He didn't want to go back... And sing all of his older songs. And MTV's like. Uh. We want to hear your old songs. Is that okay? And Dave's like. Uh. No. I want to do my songs that I'm doing now. MTV's like. Well that's not really our format. And Dave said. Well I guess I'm not going to be on your show. And he didn't. I don't need you MTV Unplugged. Be gone. Bowie stood up for his art. One of his great quotes was to a friend of his. Quote, if you come from art, you will always be art. End quote. Bowie put art first. His album Outside is a good example of how David would create his music with the foundation built on a play and a character. He was the playwright. He wrote the story and built the stage On which he would perform as well. Always creating and telling a story. The premise was a bit disturbing though. It was about murder. Hey. Bowie wanted to go there. Okay. Alright. That's where his artistic stuff was going. Murder at that time. He wanted to go there. Experience that. Maybe and I don't think he killed anybody. In one of his movies. So maybe he wanted to see. Artistically. What it felt like. Uh, to murder somebody. But the outside album. Showed me. That Trent Reznor. Was first influenced by Bowie. And then. David. Was influenced by Reznor. I love that shit. Fucking awesome. Trent would even join him. On tour. Of this album. They played together. You hear a little bit of music done by Marilyn Manson too. In At this time. Trent Reznor says. That he feels Bowie has no fear in art and music. And he also feels, and this is Trent, there's not enough of it in music today. He's got that fucking right. David Bowie's legacy was rewarded in 1996 when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And by the way, the Rock Hall is in my backyard here in Cleveland. Haven't been there in a while. I was there when it first opened And that was a long time ago. I got to get back. They have probably done some great improvements since then. And just because when I did go, I was a lot younger. And I think I would appreciate it a lot more if I went today. Bowie, at the age of 53, had a daughter with his wife, Iman. And her name is Alexandria. After her birth, he was smitten. His main focus for the first time in a while... Would be on someone else besides his craft. He wanted to only be a dad. Isn't that sweet as hell? Or I don't know. Is hell sweet? It's hot. I get that. But uh, that's so stupid. I don't know why that is. Sweet as hell. So stupid. What a stupid remark. Anyways. I want to go ahead. And give notable film roles. That Bowie did in his career. His role of punctious pilot in The Last Temptation of Christ spot on. He played Andy Warhol in Basquait. Good movie. Great movie, actually. His cameo. Playing himself in Zoolander. Wasn't that fun? When he was, uh... Didn't he judge the contest? The modeling contest? (laughs) He just, like, comes out of nowhere and, uh... Like, hey, I will go ahead. I got time. I'll go ahead and judge this thing for you. I think I'm qualified. (laughs) Are you really though? (laughs) Zoolander was funny. He also portrayed Nikola Tesla in The Prestige. I was so impressed with that role as well. And I watched The Prestige about a month ago. And it dawned on me. How talented Bowie is. Seeing him in that movie... And I have seen him in acting performances before. Like I explained, he was in uh, Last Temptation of Christ. I uh, I love that movie. And I have seen him in that role, of course. And I had seen him in other things as well. Uh, I knew of him as an actor. But I watched him in this movie, The Prestige, about a month ago. And I'm like, you know, I'm intrigued by this guy. i got to do more research on him because... Not only have I watched his films... And listened to some of his music... He's been talked about... In other things that I listen to... On podcasts and things like that... They bring up Bowie because... He's sort of a mysterious guy... And the things he puts into his music and his songs... And it's been known that he practiced black magic... And was a fan of Crowley... And just that whole music scene... Back in the 60's 70's and 80's They were sort of into that stuff Like the Beatles were too Uh, What uh, Who else was Um, Led Zeppelin as well I mean they were all sort of into that shit Searching and things like that And I found that Maybe if I do an episode or two Or three on Bowie That would be a lot of fun Because he truly is talented And I felt to myself Excuse me I think he's more talented than I I imagine. And I was right. He definitely is more talented than I thought he was. So now that we have discussed David Bowie's life, we must now discuss his death. In his last album called Black Star, Elvis Presley had a song of the same name, Black Star. It came out in 1960. Bowie loved Elvis. They share the same birthday. There are connections between David, Elvis, and this song, Black Star.
2: Every man has a black star, a black star over his shoulder. And when a man sees his black star, he knows his time, his time has come Black star, don't shine on me, black star Black star, keep behind on me, black star. There's a lot of living I gotta do Give me time to make a few dreams come true. Black Star When I ride, I feel that black star That black star over my shoulder So I ride in front of that black star Never looking around Never looking around Black star, don't shine on me, black star Black star, keep behind me Black star There's a lot of living I gotta do Give me time to make a few dreams come true Black star One fine day, I'll see that black star That black star over my shoulder And when I see that old black star, I'll know my time, my time has come, black star, don't shine on me, black star, black star, keep behind me, black star, there's a lot of living I gotta do, give me time to make a few dreams come true,
0: Black Star is a reference to death. You can hear it in the Elvis song. Bowie took the same idea and made it his own. I have to tell you though, that album is dark, and it should be. The, the uh, album, the last one that David put out, it's dark. I mean, the guy was facing death and facing it very soon. He was also so fascinated with the whole thing. And he would be drifting off into the abyss. And he knew it. The video is filled with lots of dark imagery. The music video? Whoa. Bowie placed in all the reading he did about black magic. It is obvious. There's no doubt about it. But once again, David's telling a story to us. Death is near. Is Bowie scared? Is he curious? Is he professing something? Does he have some sort of answer? You know, reading up on all that dark magic stuff? What happens when you die? Does David believe in heaven? Hell? God? Isn't it all a big guessing game though? David knew it. We should know that too. In a way. No one really truly knows what happens when you die. Really. Now I have read up on what others believe the song means. Everyone has their own opinion. It goes from one end. People believing it's uh, straight up evil. Seriously. Oh really. I mean you go and look up comments on Blackstar in the video. It's quite incredible. That people out there believe that David Bowie was evil wow just because he does creepy music videos and practice all kinds of weird stuff in the 70's I mean really and I was sort of sucked into that to be honest with you because of the fact I didn't really know that much about him and I just heard little things and then I see this black star video uh, I think about a month ago or two, two months ago. Before I did my research. I'm watching this video. And not knowing the other things about David. I was definitely creeped out. I mean there's some images in there. It's creepy. Uh, the music itself. You know really creepy. But he was going through death. And wanted to express that in his music. And this was funny too. I found this in one of the comments. Uh, there were actually a few people that claimed that they couldn't get through watching the video and it made them physically ill. That's how much it affected some people. That's what David could do, man. He was so good with the imagery and the mystery and the song and the music, the feel. I mean, he was getting damn good at it, obviously. He was so good at it, he could actually make people feel ill. (laughs) Now some say Bowie simply displayed A dark story of death The mystery of it all What it's like to be at the doorstep of facing the unknown Bowie plainly brings back Major Tom In the video And Tom always signified David himself The last hurrah Others say it's Bowie showing us His strange artistic talents, in his battle with the great final day approaching, in him placing into the song and video all that he has learned about philosophy, the wisdom. But whatever you feel about it, David Bowie was a good man. I heard him in interviews say he ventured from light to dark, dark to light. He experienced life, man. He was a fan of life. And he toyed with all sorts of beliefs to gain knowledge. He was a searcher. A collector of all things artful. He was full of spirit. A dreamer of dreams within dreams. He never looked back, only forward. With his drive... And talent. He made art better. He made life interesting. He gave something to the world. To make us want. To reach far above our own world. Just like he did. And before I end this episode. In series of the great Bowie. I want to talk about the project. He was involved in. Before he died. He was finally going to fulfill his dream. And produce a musical. On Broadway. He always wanted to do it. And it was finally happening. The musical is called Lazarus. Folks. I seriously didn't know about this. I'm researching David. And I come upon this. And I'm so detached. From Broadway stuff right now. My bad. But anyway. One of my most favorite actors. Is in this show. Well, it was. He was in the show in the beginning. I don't think he is anymore. Michael C. Hall. And he plays Bowie in the musical. I've seen clips of this, and I hear Michael C. Hall sing one of Bowie's songs, and he nails it, man. Michael C. Hall has a great voice. And hearing him sing a Bowie song was just great. And I also saw a clip. Of this show on Broadway. And I heard his song. Life on Mars. sung on the stage. In that Broadway tone. And I cried. And soon realized. At that point. He took all. Of his talents. Art and music. And. uh, Acting. Performing. All of it. Mime. Costume. And all that he was going through at that time when he wrote Life on Mars and Space Oddity even. All those great songs. Had them put into a musical. And hearing his songs on the Broadway stage last week made me realize he may very well be one of the most talented people In the last century David Bowie Episode number 3 Done Thank you so much everybody For listening to me banter back and forth With myself I'm not bantering with anybody else Talking about Bowie It was great What an honor And the first one since Marlon Brando Who I consider to be the greatest actor ever into three parts. That's how important I think Bowie is to me and should be to everyone else. Right? That's right. My name's Jeff Tarowski. I hope that all of you out there go onto iTunes. I am now demanding this. Those of you who are listening to this show have to go onto iTunes. Put a five-star review. Leave a comment. It helps the show. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. And you're going to hear me say it. Until you fucking do it. There's people listening. I'm scolding you now. How dare you. (laughs) You're grounded, damn it. Go to your room. For at least two hours. I want you to pick up a book. Put down your device. And read. For two hours straight. It's a punishment. My father would do that to me when I was a kid. I had to go in my room and read for two hours. That was a punishment. That's a good thing now, right? we got to be away from our devices, away from our toys, right? The point is, go on iTunes. Leave the reviews and comments. Go on my website, theactorsroom.lipson.com. Donate to the show. A dollar would be greatly appreciated. Next week, we will talk about someone new. We're going to move on from Bowie. I'm going to go ahead, brush it off, and uh, start anew. And I think I'm going to collaborate with my brother next week on an actor. This guy is uh, quite the character. He's uh, somebody that you probably, I would say most of you out there, don't like. So it'll be... Quite the conversation about this guy I really don't know the full extent Of how my brother feels about him I have my opinions Good and bad I don't know if the good's going to outweigh the bad Vice versa We're going to find out There's a lot of things I know about this guy But there might be a lot of things I don't know Kind of scares me So next week, someone new Thank you so much for listening To this odyssey of David Bowie May you have a great day, a great evening. Go out there tonight, enjoy putting in a film. One that makes you happy or one that makes you sad. God bless you. Have a good one.